0: We are continuing in our series, Does the Reformation Still Matter? At the very heart of the Reformation are really two questions. What is the ultimate source of authority in the Christian faith and life? And the answer to that is Scripture alone. Scripture is the ultimate authority in our life. The other, answer, uh, the other question is, how is a person justified that is declared righteous before God? And that we've been working on that for the past two weeks. We have seen that it is by grace alone we are saved. That's that gift from God. And we receive that gift by faith alone. So we have scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. But those last two, grace alone, faith alone, they are by themselves incomplete, Because the question is, well, what is this grace that we actually receive? And the grace we receive is manifested in Christ Jesus. It is in Jesus alone by which we are saved. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thus, the Bible is clear that it is Christ alone, Solus Christus, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All of these point to Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair, historically, the Catholic Church has agreed that we are saved through Christ, that it is his atonement for sin for mankind, that he is truly the son of God, that he became incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he suffered, died, rose again. But the problem became when you're told to say, yes, it is Christ and you must do something else for your salvation. Whether that's something else's indulgences, fasting, pilgrimages, having to be more loving, more pious, greater love. You say, yes, believe in Christ, and you must do these things for your salvation. And when you do that, you are intentionally or unintentionally saying that Christ alone is not sufficient for your salvation. You must somehow cooperate with Christ for your salvation. And when you start to do that there becomes this gap between you and Christ. This gap in how do I cooperate? How how well could I get some help in cooperating? And you try to bridge that gap through other ways and other mediators. Let me give you an example. Do you remember when I spoke about Luther's decision for being a monk? There was this large thunderstorm. Remember, large thunderstorm, and he was afraid for his life. Big clap of thunder. And he says, St. Anne, save me. Do you remember that at all? He cries out, St. Anne, save me. So why would he cry out to St. Anne? Who is this St. Anne? Well, St. Anne was the patron saint of miners, not as in youth, but as in mineral miners, miners for gold and other type things, silver and copper. His father was a miner, and St. Anne was the patron saint for miners. So naturally, Luther would call out to St. Anne for intervention. She was an intercessor. So... The Catholic Church has this then and today of praying to saints for intercession. In essence, being an intermediary between you and Christ. And they will pray then to that intercessor rather than to Christ himself. And the Catholic Church today, as as a church itself, has become the intercessor and the Pope, and the Cardinals, and the priests, and the bishops become these mediators, these intercessors between you and Christ. You know, I even have that, it it filters in many different places, and it's just not the Catholic Church, it's many different places. I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, will you pray for me because you're closer to God? And I just want to I, you know, it's like I I both groan and chuckle. It's like I've got this line directly to God that you don't have. See, that's throughout. It's not just the Catholic Church, but it's throughout. And so rather than Christ alone becomes Christ plus all of these other things. Now, there's much more nuance to the Catholic Church theology than I'm giving you much more nuance, so I admit that. But I am at least trying to give you the gist of it, the general headline of it. So when Luther took a look at this, and he said such things as purgatory, indulgence, other mediators between you and Jesus alone, it takes away from the sufficiency of Christ. And he said, it must be Christ alone. If you change or add to Christ alone, you change the very message of the gospel. See, throughout this whole series, I hope you are starting to understand this isn't just about Luther and what happened 500 years ago. What's at stake here is the very message of the gospel. It's the purity of the gospel for which we are standing. That's the whole point of this series. So to help you with this understanding, you've got your handout. And I am going to give everyone the one sentence that encapsulates the whole message. It is this. Jesus alone is our high priest, perfect sacrifice, and mediator who saves us. That's it. You got the bottom line already. Now we're going to flesh that out. And we're going to do that by going to the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to read the whole reading from the book of Hebrews to get us used to it, because most of us are not used to this particular letter. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That is our reading from today. Now I'm going to have to give you a fair amount of context because most people are not familiar or very familiar with the letter to the Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews, by the way, is worth reading several times in a row to try to absorb it. The focus of the letter is to help the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews of the day, see that the Old Testament points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. That's the main focus of the letter of Hebrews. It shows the Old Testament and then it points to to it all being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. One of the ways it does that specifically is in the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system. God instituted a system of sacrifices on behalf of mankind for the atonement of sin. Blood was spilled in this sacrifice with the understanding that a death had occurred because of sin. Where there is sin, there is death. And life was given so that you, the sinners, may be forgiven, that you may live. If you want, the heart of the Old Testament sacrificial system is found in Leviticus chapter 17. Verse 11. God, speaking to Moses, declares, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So atonement, atonement, to make atonement for sins means to cover the sin. That's literally what atonement points to. It says it is a covering for the sin. Or it also can mean to be a propitiation. We covered that word a couple of weeks ago. Propitiation is to appease the wrath of another. In this case, it is to appease the wrath of God against sin. So the sacrificial system was to make atonement to cover the sins. And how well was it done? It was done by the sacrifice of an animal, by the shedding of blood. So where did these sacrifices take place? Well, in your uh, sermon notes, by the way, on the back of your sermon notes, I printed a picture of the tabernacle. So you find in Exodus that God gave very specific directions for a tent of meeting, the tabernacle, a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, a place where God's presence would be. And if you take a look at your handout, I've also got it on the screen here, the outer courtyard, there was an outer courtyard, but the actual Tabernacle, the tent was divided into two areas. One was the holy place, and then the Holy of Holies was uh, covered by a curtain. So, that curtain, I want you to note that because it's referenced as the veil. That is the veil. Do you remember when Jesus died? The veil was torn in two. The Holy of Holies. Tabernacle had a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. You got that? There, there's the veil, the holy place. So what did you find in the holy of holies? You found the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant held three things, the Ten Commandments, manna, and Aaron's staff. And it was the high priest who would come before the Ark of the Covenant where God said his presence would be. And what you're seeing, there's two cherubim covering the top of the Ark of the Covenant. What they're guarding is the very top of the Ark of the Covenant, and that is called the mercy seat. And this is where God would give his mercy. So... The high priest would come in, and it was only the high priest who come in once a year and offer a sacrifice. And the high priest, the role of the high priest was twofold. One, to be a representative for all of Israel. Not would it only he come in as a sinner himself, he would come in representing all the sins of Israel. And then the second role is he would be a mediator. He would stand before God and and Israel, and he was the go-between, so to speak, in which a sacrifice was offered, sins were forgiven. But this high priest could only come in one day a year. It was the Day of Atonement called Yom. Yom means a day. And HaKippuram is atonement. We know this now in our day and time as Yom Kippur. It is the Jewish high holy day. It is the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. But here's the problem. You see, the priest would have to come in every year and do this and a sacrifice again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, year after year. His sacrifice was never a perfect sacrifice. And thus it was only a type or a shadow of what was to come the sacrificial system was only a type or a foreshadowing of forgiveness of sin because it couldn't fully atone for all the sin. And it's this endless downward cycle, this downward spiral. I mean, how many how many sacrifices do you have to do till you're actually forgiven? Now, this is for us for today as well. I know there are probably some of you today and many people I've talked to who are working yourselves to death, trying to do as many good works as possible. So that balance scale balances out at the very end, and then you will be acceptable before God. And you come to church and you do your tithes and you do your offerings and you try to be a good Christian and you do all of that and it harkens actually back to this sacrificial system and becomes this downward spiral until you actually end in despair. And you say, can I ever be forgiven? Can I ever be forgiven? Lord, I'm doing all this stuff. Can I ever, ever, ever be forgiven? And I know this. I've talked to many people who are in that same boat you see, against all of this, against all of this, God says, but God. But God. Do you remember that from last week? But God. And here it says, but when Christ appeared. So let's go to our reading. Hebrews 9, 11. And I'm just going to... the letter says is that Jesus fulfilled the entire law and he did it perfectly in his role as high priest and a perfect sacrifice. Let's compare the Old Testament high priest to Jesus. The Old Testament high priest was born in sin and his life had a beginning and an end. Jesus was without sin and his life is eternal. The Old Testament priest was called by God to be among men. Jesus came from God to be among men. The Old Testament priest is over Israel. Jesus is over all of creation, that which is seen and unseen. The Old Testament priest had to part a curtain that was made with human hands and then go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus parted the true curtain with his death and resurrection to the greater glory, to the glory of God, the heavenly place. The Old Testament priest stood before the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus stands before the very throne of God. You understand now that the Old Testament priest was but a type, a foreshadow of Jesus, the perfect high priest. He stands before God interceding on our behalf. If you want to get a glimpse of Jesus' prayer of intercession, go to John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. Now regarding sacrifices, it says he entered once for all into the holy places, and how do he enter in? He says, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So we're going to take a look at this. The first section is by means of his own blood. A sacrifice had to be given, you understand, the blood, the life that is in blood had to be given for the atonement for sin, and a perfect sacrifice had to be given for the full atonement of sin of mankind. Well, who is Jesus? John the Baptist declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin Jesus was sinless 1 John chapter 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sin of the whole world Jesus offered himself as the perfect unblemished Lamb to be sacrificed to atone or cover our sin. He is the propitiation. And then he did it once for all. This one should be, bring you great comfort. He said, What, the letter writer says, what he did was complete. There was nothing else that needed to be added to it once and for all or we would say once for all time Hebrews 7 chapter 7:27 says he has no need like the high priest to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself Hebrews 10:10 10, 10. and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you remember what Jesus said, what he cried out on the cross? It is finished, right? It is finished. It is done once for all. There is nothing else that needs to be done. He is our high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice. And by him, we are purified. Starting with Hebrews nine thirteen, for if by the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heaven, sanctify for the, pur- pur- for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How many of you are familiar with the term blood guilt? Did you ever hear that phrase before blood guilt? Blood guilt comes from the guilt of shedding innocent blood. Remember Cain killed Abel in Genesis chapter four uh, verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, what have you done? the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and now you have, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's brother's blood from your hand you see wherever there is a shedding of innocent blood restitution needs to be made restitution of some sort to assage the guilt you know, when somebody has murdered somebody else, there's that guilt that stays with them. And it's almost as if no matter how hard they try, they can never make up enough for the murder that they committed. So it's two things. They either become callous to that and hardened or they are racked with guilt. And they try to do things to take away that guilt. How many of you are familiar with the play Macbeth? Lady Macbeth? Okay, there was this playwright named Shakespeare. Okay, he wrote a bunch of plays, really famous. Macbeth. And Macbeth is just this power-hungry guy who will kill just about anybody in his way. His wife doesn't kill anybody, but what does she do? She urges him on to kill an innocent man. And there's this, there's this scene in the play and she's rubbing her hands and rubbing her hands. And because she has blood on her hands and and she says this out damn spot out, I say, and she's just crazed and rubbing her hands and rubbing her hands and trying to wipe out a stain of blood that is condemning her. The sin, the stain of sin condemns us. And if you know that, if you stand before a holy God, you know that you are stained through and through with sin and you can't wash it off no matter how many good works you do, no matter how nice you are, how many tithes you do, your fastings, all of that, you still have that sin and you just can't get it out. See, some of you, when I worked on a farm, when I worked on a farm during really hot days, and I'm baling hay, and you were just, I mean, there was so much dirt on you, you were just caked with dirt. Anybody been like that? You've been just, like, caked with dirt? And you don't even dare go inside because you're so dirty? But you stand outside, and somebody puts the hose on you, and because it's just so hot, you just stand there and you're washed clean. The blood of Christ does that. We stand before him and we are washed clean. We are purified. Our conscience is made clean. And then first. 18 through 22. I just have 22 up there where there is forgiveness of these. There's no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. That's Hebrews 10, 18 through 22 in Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice in him alone. We are purified and then you can find your rest it is not an endless sacrifice again and again and now we come to the very end of our reading from hebrews 9:15 therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant therefore it's an important word because anytime you see a therefore you have to ask what's the therefore therefore because this is the accumulation of a train of thought he says because he is the high priest because he is the perfect sacrifice therefore he is the mediator not a mediator not one of many mediators he is the mediator as it says in 1st timothy jesus christ serves as the only mediator between god and man and if you read the gospel reading today jesus says he is the door right not one of many doors he is the door he is the mediator listen Buddha is not your mediator, nor is Muhammad, nor Krishna, nor anyone else, nor is Mary or Joseph or the Pope or priest or pastors as well. None of those mentioned have ever offered a perfect sacrifice that atones for our sins. None of those mentioned has ever shed blood so precious that it washes away all of our sins. None of those mentions can add anything or help to the cross of Christ. None of those mentioned can part the veil and enter into the heavenly realm and come before the very throne of God. None of us can ever offer a perfect sacrifice or, or add one iota to the work of Jesus. Our sacrifices are but nothing. Christ stands alone. In Christ and Christ alone is our hope found. So the question before you this morning is to whom do you cling? To whom or what does your faith cling. See, many people cling to the church. They cling to the church for salvation, but the church at some point will falter. And you've seen that all around you. The church is faltering, but Christ never falters. Some cling to the pastors or the priests for salvation. They follow this pastor. They follow this pastor. But at some point, that pastor will fall. Or do something that is simply human. And therefore people lose their faith. But Christ never falls. He never falters. He never fails. We don't even cling to our own faith. We don't even cling to the strength of our faith. Our faith can only do one thing. It can only receive with hands open the gift of grace in Christ Jesus. Who do you cling to? To whom or what does your faith cling? From Jesus, we receive the very mercy of God. Jesus is God's grace made manifest to us, given to us to atone for our sins so that we have the promise of eternal life with him. Jesus alone is our high priest, perfect sacrifice and mediator. And it's through him alone that we are saved. Amen.